I'm not going to tell you how to protest. I'm not going to tell you to what degree, but I will tell you, if you care for me, if you love me, you can't be silent. I don't care how you choose to fight. I just want you to fight. I don't care how you choose to stand. I want you to stand. But you can't be silent. There's no neutral sides on this. That's the one thing people have to accept. There's no neutral sides. There are people who are fighting for equality and treating all humans like damn human beings. And then there's people who think it's okay. And you don't have to be a racist to think it's okay. If you're choosing not to do anything about it, if you're choosing not to talk about it, if you're choosing to ignore it, then you're with the other side. That's just the facts. What's good, everyone? You have reached In The Trap Podcast with me, Sarah Harrison. Thank you for continuing to tune in, to lend your ears, and ultimately walk away with more knowledge from hearing compelling stories of other people. At least I hope so. So for the first time, listeners, this is a place where we journey through the unique stories of creatives told by the individuals themselves from conception to inception, a place for voices to be heard and experiences to be shared. The voice you heard at the beginning is that of Monty Washington, an actor, writer, model, and motivational speaker. He is an African-American who grew up in the United States under very tough circumstances. And I have wanted to tap in with Monty on this platform as I have been of witness to his superb come up. But there has never been a more crucial time for a black voice to be heard and a black experience to be shared. Something this platform has long provided. To run you through some things we get to discussing, Monty talks about his upbringing as a foster child, living in homeless shelters despite making it as a college graduate, defying stereotypes in a country conditioned against him, and even recalls interactions that prove it to be so. Now a full-time professional in the field, as an actor, Monty gives us his acting methods of mastering himself first, the philosophy of not looking like our story, constantly reminding himself of the struggles to combat complacency, admitting to self-doubt and so much more gems to learn from in this space of his life. The world has recently been shaken with the tragic death of George Floyd, a black American civilian who brutally lost his life at the hands of the police, shedding light on a lineage of innocent killings of the same nature. We talk intensely about the seismic waves sparked from this incident that have enlightened humanity of its prejudiced foundations. Let's get right into it. I've got Monty Washington with me in the Trap Podcast with myself, Sarah Harrison. And, you know, we have um, a, a prior relationship, as of course we know each other, not professionally, but more so through um, a very dear friend of mine. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, who's more so family. And it seems like our professions cross paths in some way. You know, we are both in the entertainment world. This podcast started uh, a few weeks ago. The purpose of this podcast is to really unleash the story behind figures in entertainment and creatives in general. And you are one person that I really wanted to talk to because your story is unique and I feel like that's what makes you who you are. So Monty Washington, who is Monty Washington? Oh my God, that is a complicated, long, drawn out explanation. But simply put, um, I'll give you the shortened version. Uh, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm, a, I'm a black dude that was raised in the hood that comes from a mother who unfortunately was addicted to drugs and a prostitute. I slept in parks. I slept in crack houses for weeks at a time. I grew up in the system, being abused in foster homes, even being hospitalized in a foster home, um, even having to go through therapy because of the mental abuse and emotional abuse I suffered. Um, and eventually, through time and you know through the grace of God and a higher power, I was able to get out of that situation, um, go to college. I hold two college degrees. You know, I'm a published author. And now I'm following and living my dream as a uh, full-time actor, uh, activist, and a motivational speaker, lecturer. I go to uh, universities, or what do y'all call it, unis? Is that what y'all call it? What, what universities, it? yeah. Yeah, <laughs> universities, right? Um, yeah, and so that's, that's, that's me on the outside, but on the inside, I'm just a loving, compassionate, goofy-ass person, you know, who loves to have a good time. I love people. I love seeing people win. I love people seeing people come out of the struggle and being better because of it. 
Uh, I'm a bit of an anime geek. Yes, I watch anime, you know. Uh, you know, I'm a bit of a sports junkie. And I'm a human being above all else. I'm just, I'm a human being trying to figure this thing we call life out like everybody else out there. Man, I feel like you've mastered your bio, Monty, because <laughs> you just, <laughs> that is so concise. That's the reason why I asked that question, like who is insert name? Because I feel like as professionals, we're trained to to kind of minimize and really just put into a few words who we are. We are, yeah. way, we are way more than a few words, right? And way more than a few situations and a few scenarios in our life. So that's really interesting that you've mastered that so well. And I think that's because of your career of, of speaking and of being an yeah. actor. You know, being an actor, it is that case of, you know, first impressions. And it's like, you've got to do it in like 10 seconds. You got to know who you are. Like you got to, um, I've been in the industry for a long time. Like right now I'm great. You know, I'm starring on three different shows and, uh, you know, I'm supposed to be doing a lot if it wasn't for this pandemic here, but it's like, I didn't get a lot of roles because I didn't know who the hell I was. You know, I was trying to be something I'm not. And so I'm not, I'm not an expert at anything. I'm a, I'm a I'm a experienced speaker. I'm an experienced actor, but I'm an expert at myself, like in who I am. And uh, yeah, that's just I know me. You know, I know me because I I, I knew what it felt like pretending to be something I wasn't. You know what I mean? Wow. Uh, yeah, it's just like when you master yourself, everything else kind of falls into play. You said I didn't get a lot of roles because I didn't know who I was. That speaks absolute volumes. I actually had have an acting background myself and I oh, felt, hey. <laughs> yeah, but um, I felt like acting and the theater world specifically wasn't for me because I felt like I always had to fill in someone else's shoes. But now that you say it how you say it, it's almost like you had to deep dive into yourself even deeper to play another role. Can you just actually break that down? Like the philosophy of that is and the psyche is in, insane. It, you know, like, so this, I'm a, I'm a geek out with some actors stuff. I mean, and you, you, you in London, you in the UK, like a lot of my favorite actors, you know what I mean? Are from that part of the world. The way y'all approach the craft of acting uh, up in London, like, I love it. You know what I'm saying? That's why you got so many British, African actors who come to the US and master black roles because of the training. So first off, like, I admire that level of uh, craft and appreciation for the art. And what that does is when you step into somebody else's shoes, it's like, you gotta be empathetic. You know what I mean? Like uh, one of the characters I played in the show I just finished, he's an asshole. Like he, he, he's, a, <laughs> he's, a, he's a dog, he's after another man's woman. And I have to be like, yo, why would somebody do that? You know what I mean? Like, why would somebody do that? And how would I justify that? So you gotta be really empathetic with all the characters you're playing. Like you can't be judgmental. And that's true for life. Like we judge ourselves a lot. We judge other people. But as an actor, you can't judge your character. Everything your character's doing is for a reason. It's for a purpose. And it doesn't have to make sense to anyone else, but it makes sense to your character. So it just, I really like, I, I enjoy that because it forces you to think like, yo, I would never do that. Not me, not Monty. I would never do some of the stuff my character's doing, but it forces you to dig deep. Why would somebody in real life, if this person existed, why would they do that? And then how would you do it in that same situation? You know, so it's uh, it's fun. You know, uh, uh, Stanford Meisner, he's a he's a great uh, acting uh, teacher. He's one of the greatest. He has this quote. It says, "Actor acting is living truthful under imaginary circumstances." So that's all it is. It's living truthful under this pretend circumstance. Which let's be real, we do every day, and especially as kids, we pretend, and even as adults, we pretend. The world is something it's not. We pretend to be something we're not oftentimes to fit into the roles that allow us to operate within the circles and around the people, you know, that are around us. So um, I love it. It's, it's a lot of work, but it's just, you know, it makes you empathetic of other people a lot. For sure. I don't want to skim past your childhood and your upbringing because this is actually a big part of this podcast is diving into the story of what made you who you are. But I do remember that you said something when I came to watch you um, being interviewed um, on a TV show. What what channel was that again? Pardon me. I've oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yo, uh, uh, yo, you were down here in L.A. Yo, it's, it's been so much. Uh, it's Fox, 
That was this year, <laughs> believe it or not. No, there's, there's a lot. There's too much going on in 2020, right? Um, but it's called, uh, it's uh, foxsoul.com. Yeah, yeah, Fox Soul. So it's a, it's a, a it's a uh, urban and predominantly black network that gets to amplify and highlight uh, uh, black voices in the entertainment industry. What I did take from that, I remember you said something like, our experiences, we, we often say our experiences shape us, but you said the reverse of that. Can you quote yourself yeah. again? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So we about, to, we about to drop some gems on, on the listeners out there, right? Um, our experiences, first off, we don't look like our story. That's one thing people got to understand. We don't look like our story. So like if before meeting me, like you knowing me now, I'm an educated black man with two college degrees, well, a, a business owner, I travel, I do all that stuff. But you wouldn't know that my mother was a prostitute and a drug addict. You wouldn't know I, I was suicidal and I suffered mental, uh, I suffered depression deeply. You wouldn't know that because we don't look like our story. And we have this idea that our stories and our experiences form who we're going to become. And part of that is true, but if it's, if it's true, then how could I be a positive, influential person if I've only had negative experiences growing up? Like, I don't have many positive childhood memories that could be like, oh, that was a nice moment. I don't, I have a lot of trauma, right? So if our experiences form us, I should be a broken down person, but our experiences don't form us, they inform us. So everything we experience, it's information. It's if you've been abused, you're, the information you're getting is what it feels like to be abused and what not to do to somebody else. And even in our careers, you don't experience failure, so you're formed into a failure. You experience failure so you can learn the lessons that only that failure could have given you. You know what I mean? So it's just like, it's a, it's a mind shift and a paradigm shift to be like, even though I'm going through something tough, that doesn't form me. It's information. It's an experience. And if you can grow from that experience, that negative situation become a, can become a source of strength later down the road. So do you feel like negative experiences, if you experience more of those than your, you know, the person standing next to you, it makes you somewhat a better person because you came out? Not a better person. So I think I phrased that wrong. What, what I mean is that, are you grateful for these experiences? 100%. It makes you a bit stronger. I'm not going to lie. The people that I've personally met in my life that shine the brightest, that have a better outlook in life, they've been through some shit in life. They've experienced some hard times and it makes them grateful for every other time. And it doesn't make you uh, a better person, but it does make you stronger. I mean, if you haven't experienced any tough times in your life, it, growing up or as a teen, when you become an adult, what happens when you finally experience a heartbreaking situation and you don't know what to do because Maybe you've been sheltered or maybe you've been uh, in a position of privilege to where you haven't had to go through tough times. It sets you up. It, it's just like working out. You got you to gotta work out. You got to have resistance to build those muscles. And that's the same thing in life. You have to go through that. So it, it doesn't make you a better person because um, sometimes it makes people worse. Like I said, it's information. It all depends on what you do. And when I talk about going through negative experiences, also, let's separate. There's some negative experiences that are out of our control. Life throws something at us. Or for me, my, my dad wasn't around. My mother was a, a drug addict. So it's like I had no control of that. But as we get older, if we keep on experiencing the negative things, then that's our fault. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't, you can't keep making the same mistakes and not learn from them. If the negative experiences only help you if you learn from them and do your best not to make the same mistake. It's interesting you said, and I feel like society teaches us that it's a privilege to not have to go through struggle. How about if we flip that and said that the struggle is a privilege because you come out the other side way it's more mentally liberated and the growth is, is bigger than what you're destined for, if that makes sense. Or, or it is as the growth that you're destined for. Do you understand where I'm coming yeah, from? Yeah, it, it's absolutely. And, I, and I, I think that because it's like, also, let's just be real. You're, you're, you're healthy, I'm healthy right now, right? You know when you're sick and it's just like, you can't keep food down, your energy is low. Like, don't you appreciate your health the most after you get over it? Like, mm -hmm. the, like the moment I'm no longer sick, I'm over here, I'm hitting the gym, I'm going outside, I'm so grateful. But like right now, I forget that I'm healthy. 
because it hasn't been challenged. It hasn't been taken away. So in life, if you've not experienced anything that's negative or uh, um, something that's going to challenge you, then you're not really living. I don't know if you, uh, you know, like the movies, right? So I'm an actor, so I make everything about acting or sports. That's just me, right? Uh, you know, you know when you see the um, somebody's like on a machine and they're about to die, and it's like beep, beep, beep. You know, you see the machine. That's life, right? It's going up and down. What does that mean? You're still alive. What happens when it flatlines? You're dead. So if your life is one flat line, are you really living in your life? Life has to have ups and downs and peaks and valleys. So when I'm up, like right now, despite the pandemic, despite all the craziness that's going on in America, I'm living the dream. I make a living off of my art, off of my craft full time. Like after eight years of pursuing it, I'm living the dream. And I'm so high right now. I'm so grateful. But I only can appreciate this so much because I remember when I wasn't winning, when I wasn't getting auditions, when I was sleeping on couches, when I had $20 of food for the whole week, when I was borrowing money because I've experienced those lows, I appreciate the highs so much more. And do you remind yourself often of those just to keep you going? Do you use that as, as your own fuel? You know what? It, 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 is, it is my fuel because I used to have a problem, and I think a lot of people might be able to relate to this, of I'm down here and I get up a little bit and then I get comfortable. I stop pushing. I'm just like, oh, okay, I'm not on a couch no more. I'm sharing a room. Cool. This is better than what it was instead of being like, no, it's not just about you getting off your friend's couch. How about you figure out a way to get your own apartment, to be able to pay your own rent, to be able to do all these things. So it's like I used to get real complacent. Now I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going higher and higher and higher. I don't stop because I know what it's like to be down like that. I'm like, yo, the moment you take your foot off the gas, the moment you think you're good enough, somebody else is going to pass you. And for instance, this pandemic, a lot of people are hit hard by it. If I got complacent when I got my one acting role uh, last year and I didn't go hard and get my biggest acting role at the end of the year like I did, I would be struggling right now, right? I would really be struggling. And if I didn't keep up my speaking career, because that's what made me the m most of my money beforehand, if I would have been like, oh, I'm an actor, I don't need to do that, I would be struggling right now. But I set myself up, and I didn't know this pandemic was going to happen. None of us did. But I set myself up because of my, my standard of excellence and how great I, I want to be, that now when something like this happens, me and my lady, we're good. We're taken care of because I didn't take my foot off the gas. If I would have taken my foot off the gas six months ago, nine months ago, I would be struggling right now, but I'm not. I'm good. Yeah, you have to have those contingencies in order, right? Whenever and wherever. And I know I feel like we're jumping from place to place, but I do like the conversation is free flowing. So what is this big role that you mentioned that you did get lost? Let's let's not skip past that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, so I, I got I got a couple roles. I'm on one of the stars of a new Tyler Perry show. For anybody in the UK, you don't know Tyler Perry, look him up. The dude's bruh. a billionaire. Bruh, hey, hey, I don't know. Yo, yo, bro. <laughs> like, you know, like, I don't want to assume. You know, that's, that's the problem with us Americans anyways. We assume everybody's supposed to know everything about us. I don't want to do that. You know what I'm saying? But uh, Tyler... Tyler Perry, bro, it's on a BET Plus app, which is like BET's Netflix. So it's their online platform. And I'm one of the main stars. It's me and three other dudes. And it's just dope. You get to see four positive Black American men that aren't like stereotypes, either drug dealers or woman beaters or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So, And it's so important, given the climate we're in right now, um, to have some of those positive representations of what a black man is, lives how he lives, what he looks like, and the vulnerability and the brother and the, the brotherhood and the love we have amongst each other. So that's my biggest role to date to star in the show. And if you're an actor, a series regular is everything. Like that's what you go for. Like only thing better than being a series regular with a group of people is having your own show. You know what I'm saying? Like one of my uh, favorite actors is Idris Alba. You know what I'm saying? And Luther, I love that show. That's my dream, to have a show where I'm at the top of that and I'm so close now. And that's such a big thing as an actor because, yo, Harrison, I remember when I was just happy to be in the background of a show and when they do stuff, you see the camera and I'm pausing the show like, yo, that's me back there. Like... <laughs> 
Wow, you come a long way. Yo, a long way. I was like, yo, did you see my head? <laughs> like, crazy. crazy. But listen, I'm sure this is everyone's question right now, is how on earth did you go from your homelessness times? How did you get from that to this? It, it's progress is a process. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's no overnight success. Every actor that I watch now that I was like, oh, that's an up-and-coming actor, they've been around for so long, you just didn't know them because they weren't in enough big things for you to get their attention. And so it's a process. And the biggest things, um, and I'm going to drop a gem real quick. This is one of my favorite uh, lines I like to tell people because I get hit up in my DMs a lot about this exact question, right? And perseverance is a cheat code for life. So persevering is a cheat code for life. If you don't give up, as corny and cliche as that sounds, if you don't give up and you keep the same focus, but you continuously grow along the way, it's not if you're going to win, it's when you're going to win. And so for me personally, like when I came here, I'm a pretty talented dude. You know, I love my craft. I work my butt off. I'm a, I have two college degrees. I had to stay in a men's shelter. A college graduate, I had to stay in a men's homeless shelter for six months when I came out to L.A. to pursue this dream because I stayed on too many people's couches and I felt guilty encroaching on each other, uh, different people's space. And when you're in that, when you're sharing a room like with five other dudes, grown, funky, stanky (laughs) men, like you really question, am I doing the right thing? Do I really want this? And when you have these, there's no big moments. I don't believe there's a singular moment in life. You know what I'm saying? There's a series of moments that build up momentum to get you to that moment. You feel me? So like being in that men's shelter was a moment to where I can quit and go back home. Right? But I didn't. I had a lady ask me for money on the train. And she had her two kids and she was just like, hey, you got a couple of dollars. And I pulled out a $20 bill and it was a Wednesday. I wasn't going to get paid till Saturday and I couldn't give her that. And I felt like shit because I'm like, yo, this woman, I can't even do that. And I'm a college graduated dude, well-spoken, nice looking, intelligent brother. I can't do that. I was crying. I went to a Starbucks. I had my hoodie on. I was just crying because I felt hope. I was like, yo, I can't even help this person. And I remember saying like, yo, I'm never going to feel like that again. I'm never going to be in a position not to help somebody in need. Then I struggled with confidence in this acting industry, because you hear no so many times, you start to question, are they right? You know what I mean? It's like, oh gosh, yo. The worst. But uh, Tracy Ellis Ross, uh, she said something, I saw her at a, um, um, a conference, and she said, use no as your vitamin. So use no as your vitamin, use that as fuel. And so it's, it, I, I struggled with my confidence, and I had a big opportunity for a really like big name agent that came to one of my classes and I just shrunk under the pressure. And I remember crying on the way home, cussing myself out. It was like, yo, you so much better than this. But I was so worried about failing. I was so worried about other people's opinions. And that was another moment. And after that moment, I was like, I will never doubt myself. I'm gonna make sure I'm the most prepared. I'm gonna make sure my talent, I'm gonna do everything. And so you add all those moments up with all that failure and being humbled by it because we have egos as actors because we think it's about us. So it humbled me. It made me hungry as hell. And I went into every single audition like, yo, this is my role. If you're going to say no to this role, you're going to give me another role because I'm that damn good. And it's not from an arrogant standpoint. It's just like, yo, I put in the work. I have the talent. I know what I'm doing. And all the roles I got, Sarah, like, yo, that's exactly what happened. I went in for the lead role of Games People Play, which is a big BET show. I didn't get the lead role, but I was so good, they gave me another important role because I wasn't right for the lead. My other show on uh, Urban Movie Channel, it's another uh, online thing. They wanted an older dude for it to go across from this leading lady. I went and I killed it. They gave me the role. The Tyler Perry role. I auditioned for Tyler Perry seven weeks in a row. Seven weeks in a row, and I didn't get a call back. They said, no, no, no. But they're like, this dude is so good, we're going to find a place for him. And they found a place for me. So you put all of that together, and obviously we don't have enough time to give you every little intricate thing, but you put all that living in a homeless shelter, not being able to help out a lady, struggling with confidence, and the lessons I learned from that, I'm supposed to be where I'm supposed to be now. Like, I deserve this 
the success I have because that is eight years of grinding, of failure, of learning, but never giving up. I had doubts, but I would still yeah. go to class. I would still go to auditions. And that's what it takes, you know? Yeah, that's tenacity, literally. So where did you graduate college? So I went to two colleges. I went to a, uh, do you guys call them community colleges out there? What? It's a two-year college, a city college, community college. This is like a two-year program. Is it specifically between a, of a certain age? Yeah, so it's like, it's like I think you guys have what, up to 12 years in high school. I think you guys like 12th grade. It's, it's, so the two years, the two-year kind of college that we have is um, between 16 and 18. Okay, so ours is, so pr- pretty much this was the first two years of uni. So it's a community okay. college. All it right. only gives you two years of uni. So I went to that first. Then I went to a four-year university. It's a HBCU, which is a historically black university. Because obviously, you know, here in America, it's racist history and all that stuff. Back We're in the getting day, to that. I, Don't worry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I went to an HBCU and then I got my, uh, I got my business marketing degree in mass media communication. And, um, yeah, I'm not using any of those. I decided I wanted to be an actor and a speaker. So, yeah. You say you're not using them. I, I think they're somewhere down the line. You know, it's, it's part of you. Yeah, it's good. Like, seeing somebody like me from the hood go to college, it's, it's just a, it's a good, sim, it's, it's almost uh, symbolic, like, coming out of the ashes, is if, if you were, because there's so many black men that don't necessarily go to college, at least that's what people think. So just somebody like me to go to college, I finished because I knew what it meant, even though I know I'm not going to go down that road. It's like, finish what you start. And the experiences, I found my love for acting in college. So that's, I think that was the purpose. I found, I want to speak, I want to be an actor. Otherwise, I would have been a lawyer or I would have tried to go overseas to play ball. Like I used to be a hooper, I got a basketball scholarship. So it's like, I was either going to try to go that route or go the lawyer route, but in college I found I'm more of an artist than an athlete. Now, pardon my ignorance, is there not much opportunity to get into college as a black man in America? No, no, there, there, there is now more than ever, but back in the day there wasn't, which is why they had these specifically black colleges. And it's important, mm-hmm. like it's, it's important because here in America, you know, so much, you're not always, especially if you're successful, you find yourself in less and less predominantly black circles because you kind of simulate, you know, and follow the money as it were. And so going to a black college, it's a unique experience to be around people who look like you and you're always in that culture as opposed to how I am now. I travel so much that I find myself, I'm the only person of color in so many circles and I'm comfortable with it because I know how to operate and still remain myself. But going to a college where you look around and 90% of the people look like you, it was comforting because that's not what it's like in the real world. Wow. I mean, that really just brings us to the conversation that is all over the world, not just America. It's actually interesting. You mentioned that earlier. You said, oh, you know, us America, we have this thing where we feel like everyone knows what's going on here. But, you know, you expect someone to you expect everyone to know what's going on in America. We expect. Yeah. But the reality is that it's it's not. It happens in like a very micro space or the world feels like, oh, but I've got I've got television. Like, I know what's going on. But we fully know that that's very filtered. And that's exactly so, 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 so filtered. It's ridiculous. Thank God for social media that people get to see behind the scenes and get to see more of the truth because the mainstream media, they're so agenda driven that what the rest of the world sees. You don't even see a you don't even see a ten percent of what's really happening. It's crazy. So now that the issue that has been raised and people's alarm bells have been moved worldwide with the issue of race in America and the the division and the segregation still being mm-hmm. a thing when people thought it was a thing of the past, also. <laughs> We must bring the conversation to to this situation where, um, you know, George Floyd, rest in peace, God rest right. his soul. I feel like his passing has, I, I watched his memorial service yesterday. And one thing that is just blows my mind is the positivity and the up uplifting nature of the black community, right? Mm-hmm. It's just... It's just something that is is mind blowing to me. Despite how repetitive it has been, mm-hmm. you still always find 
the the positive and the light at the end of the tunnel that light at the end of the tunnel can you can you just take me through and you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna use one of your questions that you use on real talk Tuesdays? No, Wednesdays. Tuesdays. Tuesdays. It was was Wednesday because of Blackout Tuesday. So it was Real Talk Tuesday, the Wednesday edition. But now it's Real Talk Tuesdays. So in one sentence, how did that make you feel? Uh, With uh, the George Floyd? The George Floyd, yeah. Yeah. um, um, One sentence, pissed off to the point of tears. So it's like a it's a hurt thing when you see when you when you when you see that so often cuz it's George Floyd but you got Breonna Taylor. You got uh, uh Ahmaud Arbery. You got so many others but those are kind of like the ones that happened so close to each other that kind of made this thing explode on top of the pandemic restrictions, right? So um I don't know just 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 hurt is probably just if I can put it in more just hurt. You see it and it's not Obviously, being a black man, seeing that it hits different, but being a human and seeing that happen, and at at in the beginning, no one being held accountable. It's like seeing somebody die, especially a black man die, is hurtful. Seeing nobody get held accountable is heartbreaking. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like it's like yo, people die every day, but because of the way he died, and because there was no one held accountable. That's changed after millions of people had to do something, which is ridiculous, but that's, we'll get into that, I'm sure. Um, yeah, it, it was hurtful and uh, heartbreaking at first. When you see protests break out, not just within America, but everywhere else around the world, do you see that as, as a positive change? Oh, yo, I, despite everything that's going on, we got to count our wins. I'm, I'm, I, I, if you don't find the positive in the midst of all of this, you will give up, you will become depressed, or you'll become pissed the F off. Like you will be pissed off if you keep watching these images. So you have to separate sometimes and count your blessings. Like I saw uh, uh, stuff in New Zealand. I saw stuff in London. I saw stuff in France. I'm like, yo, people care for us over here. And which I love because you're, you, you operate in black culture. You operate in a black space, which music you play, uh, uh, just being a DJ and all that stuff. So like, you know firsthand, like you're, you're part of the culture, right? And so much of pop culture in the world is American culture. And so much American culture is black culture. So therefore, a lot of the cool shit that happens in the world, entertainment, music-wise, is people who look like me. And when you see people like, yo, you don't just care about the art I'm making and me entertaining you. It's like, you care about my struggle. And that means everything. Like to have people across the world care about something that's so specific here in America and so specifically targets and affects people like myself. It, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it just gives you hope. And even here in America, um, I remember uh, about a few years ago, I did a play called Which Lives Matter, and I touched on this. Um, which what, what is sad is, I think it was after Eric Gardner, uh, uh, a brother who was choked to death by a police officer. But there's been so many, it's ridiculous. I couldn't keep all the names right if I wanted to, right? Um, and I think back to the protests three, four, or five years ago, it was like predominantly Black. I didn't see no worldwide protesters, protests. Now, I see almost as many white folks at the protests as Black folks. I see around the world and that is so encouraging. Even there was a poll uh, a few years ago, I think only 34% of Americans, it's 30-something, don't quote me, but like 34, 37% of Americans supported the Black Lives Matter movement. Now it's close to the 60%. I got to count that. I got to count that. The struggle ain't over. There's a lot of work, but you got to count your wins. Otherwise, you, it's, 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 it's too traumatizing if you don't count these little wins. It really does feel like to me that this drastic shift has happened because the world has been at pretty much a standstill due to a pandemic, right? Yes. So, I mean, I get into like my spiritual self, but it does it does feel like that was a reason for this. A positive out of the pandemic is in the fact that we were forced to pause witness something so I mean, casually, casually. The, if you if you look at it, it wasn't like the dude like he was struggling. It was he was casually with his hands in his pockets, 
for eight minutes and 46 seconds and two minutes and some change after he passed out, still doing it. And that, that like the lack of humanity in that and the fact that, and what people don't see around the world, so just context, uh, context for anybody out there, it's like, you don't see everything that makes the news. This is the stuff that gets caught on camera. This is the stuff, that's not talking about the abuse and the hospitalizations because we're so numb, we've been so numb and used to it in this country that only the most gruesome of deaths get attention. And that's the jacked up stuff. Like yeah. this happens on a regular basis because it's so systematic. So that was the heartbreaking thing. And it's like, black folks here, we've been like, yo, we've been telling y'all this shit has been going on forever. We keep saying it. And yeah. now because of the pandemic, just like you said, People don't have so they don't have so much things to be distracted by to pull their attention away, which the media is really good at doing, diverting your attention and kind of hijacking the narrative. You don't get that. You have to pay attention, and it's showing for me with my positive mindset. It's showing me that there's more good than bad out there. The fact that people actually care and people are starting to learn, especially like my white allies, to see people repost stuff and to care and to hit me up, your Monty, what can I do? And like, yo, that's everything to me. Well, exactly, because I feel like this scenario, we've also been forced to peel the layers and really get to the to the root of this problem, yes. which is how we saw news and information spreading across social media, how the, how the white race, this is their fight as much as the black race, you know, because this is one humankind. The fact, and if I can vent for a quick second, the fact that today I still have to explain to people why you shouldn't say all lives matter and put it as elementary as possible. That's one of the things that pissed me off. It's like, stop it. You're trying to say all lives matter, A, to make yourself feel comfortable, and B, to make sure you don't have to do anything else because it's like, oh, all lives matter. So it's all good. When it's like, no, black lives matter. All lives matter in theory, but not all lives are treated fairly. Not all lives are systematically killed legally. Black lives are. So let's keep the focus, the focus. If there's an error, you're going to focus on the error to correct that specific thing to enable everything to work, you know, in tandem together. It's just, it's, it's so ridiculous. It's like, you see, you see five houses and there's a burning house and you go check every other house that's not burning. No, 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 we're going to get to the burning house. We got to make sure these other houses, even though they're not burning, we just want to make sure they're not burning. Oh, okay. All that's, no, shut up. Go to the burning house because our house is burning down and it needs specific, consistent attention. Let's keep the focus to focus. For real. And you posed a few questions on your Real Talk Tuesdays. That was a very good guideline to how the white race or people outside the black race can be of allies. We might not know what the right questions are, what the right movements are, how to manage this in the right way. So I, I made a note, but I think I missed out some of them. I know that number one was you know, firstly asking how are you feeling, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a, this is what uh, Sarah's touching on is if you're, if you're, if you're concerned and you want to be a good ally and you want to be right. part of, you know, part of the solution and not the problem, the first question before you say anything is just how you're feeling. And that's exactly, you know, ask your friends of color, how are they feeling? How are they managing all these feelings? Because that just opens up a dialogue. And sometimes when you see so many negative images on social media, there's this thing called feed fatigue. Right. I don't know who coined the term, but I'm using it. Right. Feed fatigue. But you keep seeing rest in peace, rest in peace. This video, this video, this video, this video. And it can take you down. And especially if you're black and you're directly affected by it. So it's important to check on your black friends, especially like somebody like you who operates in that space and that culture. But yo, how you feeling? And it's just it's, it's a it just shows you care. And it just means a lot that you care. It's an important word. You said there is dialogue. Right. Yeah. If you shut things off you're automatically creating unnecessary tension that's not going to solve the problem. Everyone needs to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's the only thing that's going to create growth. And what was the second question? You said, why? Yeah, yeah. So it's like you asked what, how they're feeling and you want, you want to get their opinion on why they think this is happening or why you think things are the way they are. So it's just like, why? And it's just interesting because you're going to get a little different. Like not all black folks feel the same. Not all black folks are equally affected by it because there are, 
I have black friends who operate in white spaces and grew up in white spaces. So their perception of it is slightly different. I have ones who are only in black spaces. And so sometimes their perceptions can come off very extreme, right? And then you have me, which my work, I operate in white spaces. And in my real life is very diverse, but I was raised in a predominantly black space. So I feel like I have a really good uh, feel of all of it. So my my answer to that question, why you think it's happening, I'm like, I'd probably just be like, it's been happening. It's gonna continue happening because we live in a, we live in a country where mistreating black people was part of, it's part of the fabric, it's part of the DNA. Unlike people like London, it's so beautiful when I go there because it's so diverse. And other than white British people, everybody else migrated there. Like you came by choice. Black folks in America, we were taken, we were enslaved, so we don't have a choice. So it wasn't like we came here a hundred years ago and we we found a little community and we created our own thing like so many other people. No, we were taken here, we were enslaved, and then we were freed. We weren't, we're not necessarily citizens. That's a big part of it. And then there's so many white Americans are desensitized to it because they don't believe it's a real issue. And funny enough, I, I got to say this just to lighten it up a little bit. There was a study done in the early 2000s that asked uh, several white American homes, like predominantly white homes, um, do you think racial inequality is an issue in America? And it has always been, right? Only 6% said yes, right? No, this, no this, is, this is a trip, right? During the same time, there was a poll that asked several white households, do you think Elvis is still alive? 12% said yes. So in the early 2000s, white Americans were twice as likely to believe Elvis was still alive than that racial inequality was an issue. I'm speechless. But, but it makes sense because we're so segregated here. And if you're white, you can operate in only white spaces, work only around white people and have a full life. You can't do that in black America. If you want to move up the ladder, you have to operate in white spaces as well. You have to. It's really hard to operate only in black spaces and be massively successful. You don't see none of our stars and all that stuff, right? Um, that, that predominantly only operate in black spaces and reach the pinnacle of what we deem as success. So you have that option. And then you take into account the way the media portrays black folks, predominantly negative. There's communities I've been to where only 5% of the whole state is black. And yet over 56% of the news coverage is of black folks committing the crimes. And then when they did the research, only 13%. So what, what I mean by that is, it's a state here in Nebraska, right? So only 5% of its population are black. The media portrays black folks committing over 50% of the crime in that state. But the, the arrest records show that we only committed 13% of the crime. So when you take into account they tripled, quadrupled the perception of what Black folks are doing. And so if you're in a predominantly white environment, you're brainwashed. So I'm not going to, I can't hate you for being brainwashed and conditioned because I have, I have white allies here who are having these conversations with their family in middle America. And the stuff they tell me that their family says they're, they're like, what, are you serious? Because they only watch Fox News or these very conservative news stations that give you only one side of the story that won't show you Black protesters stopping people from looting. They'll show you the few protesters who may be Black who might be looting. They don't give you the whole story. So if you're white and you're in an all-white community, you don't have Black friends and you rely on the media to get your resources rather than doing your own research, you can't come to any other conclusion. Right. So I can't be mad at you. You know what I mean? I, I, I want you to do better, but I, I'm not going, I can't jump down your throat because you're brainwashed. So my question is, why does the white space have to remain considered as the elite space? It's because that's what the country's built on. It's, it's there's the, the country, the foundation of the country was built on white supremacy. That's the foundation of it. Because when they came here before, what people don't know, before black, before Africans were enslaved, they tried to enslave the Native Americans here, the indigenous folks, right? But they couldn't handle the work and they pretty much killed them all the way off. And they're like, the United States is huge. Like 
it's way bigger than Europe, right? So you have that, they're like, we want to expand on all of this, this territory, but there's only so many British colonials, right, that can do it. What do we do it? Labor, forced labor, slave trade, right? And you're breeding slaves. And so you have that. And so the whole country was built up literally on the backs of slaves. So then when the Emancipation of Proclamation happened and Black folks were set free, that's how you have the police brutality. Because what they're like, we can't legally enslave them anymore. Our constitution says no. But what we can do is charge them for petty crimes, give them long uh, jail sentences, and now we use jail labor to do the labor the slaves were doing, except now it's legal. I know me and you talk, uh, uh, talked about this, and I think this would be a good segue. What can you do if you want to be an ally? I'm going to break this down, simple three steps. It's really complicated, so I try to condense it to help people, right? Mm -hmm. So first thing you got to understand, number one, if you're particularly, this is particularly for white Americans, but I think this fits for anyone who isn't black and who isn't directed, right? But I'm just saying, because I feel that's the issue. I don't know how it is there in London, but it's like, you have to understand white privilege. The fact that I, here in America, I am deemed a threat because I exist. Like, I want people to wrap their head around that. I am deemed a threat because I exist. And they don't give me, I'm six foot three, 215, bald black dude. I'm black, black. You look in a dictionary, you got a picture of somebody like me. <laughs> like, not just, and I'm not talking about skin tone black. I'm talking about black culture. Like, I'm, I'm black. I'm not ghetto. I'm not whitewashed. I'm black. I'm a black man. I represent that, right? I'm deemed a threat because of that. I don't have to do anything. You saw what happened with George Floyd. It was because of a counterfeit $20 bill, allegedly. They beat the man in the back of the cruiser, which video came out later, and then they did that only because he was black. You don't see that with white faces. So white privilege, and what that basic white privilege is, you get the benefit of the doubt in most cases. So if you're white, you're going to be assumed that you're innocent or what you're doing has a purpose and a reason. And so you have to acknowledge it because I've had the, I've had some white friends who finally acknowledge it after seeing everything. You have to acknowledge it. You have to accept it. So that's the first thing is to accept that. The second thing is educating yourself. You got to watch on Netflix uh, uh, the 13th. You got to watch um, uh, how they see us. You got to read White Like Me by Tim Wise. Like I got a list from my homies and stuff like to educate yourself so that you really understand your position in it. And then also the next step and the most important step is you have to speak on these things, which, you, which is why you have to educate yourself when you're in white spaces, right? So when you're not in uh, predominantly black spaces, there's people, I have homies, their parents will never listen to me because all they're going to see is an angry black man. That's it. They won't listen to me. Even though I have firsthand experience, even though I'm educated in the matter, they won't hear it from me. But my boy, if their son is saying, yo, what you're seeing on the news, that's not right. I have a friend of mine who says this. Here, let me show you some information. Let me share this with you, mom. Let me share this with you, pops. Now, he has their ear. So maybe he can start to get his parents to look at things differently. Maybe he can get his homies that he went to school with in an all-white community. Maybe he can get them to stop saying some of the stuff they're saying and stop caring, right? And that's how you're an ally. If you can acknowledge your privilege and the power you hold, if you can, if you can educate yourself, because it's not my job to educate you. It's not my responsibility, but because I want you to be educated and I'm going to give you some resources. I'm not going to summarize it for you. I'm not going to read it for you, but I'm going to lead you the right way. I'm going to be like, hey, here you go. This is what I say. Read. These are the documentaries you want to watch. Go ahead. Digest that. Learn from it. You know what I mean? Then the thing you can do that I can't do is to go back to your community, to go back to the other non-Black spaces and be like, yo. I operate in these spaces. I have friends that are in these spaces. What you're seeing, that's not true. I have firsthand experience operating in Black spaces, being immersed in Black culture. And so you're uniquely positioned and you have a beautiful viewpoint that you can take back to other people and they're more likely to listen to you. I have to 
physically represent what it means to be a positive black man. Everything I say, and I'm speaking out on these issues, so I'm constantly being looked at and under scrutiny and judged for this stuff. Then I have to go out in the real world if I go to one of these protests. Then I have to put myself in harm's way of possibly being tasered or pepper sprayed or put in there. Or when I get pulled over by a cop, I'm afraid to put my insurance in a glove compartment because there's this black operating manual that might look like a gun. And so when I reach for that, they have an excuse to shoot me. So I have to think about where am I going to put my vehicle registration? Yeah. I, I interview, you know, music artists and, and rap and hip hop artists specifically. Right. And I've always said this, like me interviewing someone else is actually my therapy. Yeah. Um, which is quite, it's, it's almost like reverse psychology where because I'm asking the questions, the answers I receive are actually helping me make sense of my life and how I feel and how it, pertain, how it pertains to other people around me that are not of the same background as me. So, I love it. You've been doing that because that's just how you operate and you probably see like, okay, yo, this is, this is my family, this is my people. I don't, I don't give a damn if your color of your skin's different because you're just a good person, right? Now the next step is to be intentional. I call it M-I-M, make intentional moves, right? So now you got to be intentional. So you inviting me on your podcast because you know I'm black and American and you know I speak on this stuff. That was an intentional move on your part because you're learning something. Your listeners are learning something. People over there get a real perspective of what it's like over here. So that's an intentional move on your part. Like Sarah and my lady, like that's sisters right there. So Sarah's like my sister. Therefore, after this, we can jump on a call and have deeper conversations i'm interested to hear maybe what situations you can recall of you being in a space where you were around white person that you felt was you know a friend of some sort and you did feel like they didn't fight your corner in a situation you know what there's only been a couple because most of my friends were like that they're woke you know what i'm saying like it's hard for me to i have a very diverse group of friends and so they know or maybe not even your maybe not even your friend, maybe in the grocery store or somewhere. Oh, okay. So yeah. I I when I was on tour, I was in um ironically Minnesota where oh, uh the stuff happened, right? There was a lady, sweet, sweet Uber driver, older white lady, like we just talking and she's like, Oh, that's real nice. And somehow I told her what I was speaking on, because I was speaking on diversity and inclusion. And she just made a sound. She's just like, oh, or something. And it just got really weird because she was just like, oh, you know what I'm saying? Because like, I acknowledge, so for me, I got the cool black guy thing going for me. I'm a nice looking dude. I'm articulate. I get along with everybody. So the way the average white person looks at me, unless you're a blatant racist white supremacist, you're going to like me because I know how to carry. And so I get a lot, oh, you're different. You're not like you know what I'm saying? That phrase alone speaks volumes of how... 100%. Yeah. But I know that's how I'm viewed, right? Because I work... When I travel, I work in a lot of white spaces, so I'm very conscious of that. So in this car, the lady was like, huh. And I wanted to let it go. I was just like, nah. And I was like, um, you okay? And she's like, yeah, I just don't get it. You know what I'm saying? And we're talking about the... This was a few years ago. So it was, it was, it was, a, it was a smaller Black Lives Matter movement. I couldn't tell you who passed away because there's so many of us, unfortunately. But I was just like, I was like, well, speaking from my perspective as a black person, I'm like, you live here in Minnesota, right? She's like, yeah. I'm like, I doubt there's, if there's any, there's probably not a lot of black people in there, but not many that I know, which means none, right? Uh, I was like, so from somebody who's been in both worlds, I can tell you this is why it's happening. And I can give you countless examples and she just kind of going silent so i'm like i know what you mean i'm like you having me in this car and have this conversation i know you're a great person like i know you're a good person but because you live in this part of the country because you probably don't have many black friends i'm assuming she didn't answer so i knew the answer right i'm assuming that you don't have much interactions so i'm not going to blame you for making that sound but i just want to let you know if you actually step outside of your comfort zone if you befriend some people who don't look like you if you educate yourself, then you would know the struggle's real. That what you're seeing with the riots in the in the protesting, the rioters are rioting, the protesters are protesting. Don't get it twisted. Don't let that distract you from why we're doing it. And it was also because of the Kaepernick stuff. That's what it was too, right? So it was the Kaepernick stuff. Yeah, the and I was just, yeah. yeah, and I hit her. She's just like, I just don't want to watch the football game and learn and, you know, have to deal with that. And I was just like, 
well, where else do you watch it? She's like, I don't watch it at all. I was like, so you okay with it happening? She's like, no, but I'm like, if you refuse to watch it and learn about it, that means you're okay with it. No, it doesn't. I was just like, so you have a problem with somebody silently taking a knee or a group of people going in the street, bringing something to your attention because you have the option to ignore it. I'm like, I'm like, just right now, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, you're privileged enough to ignore it and still live a good life. I can't, I don't have that. And she just went silent. And I don't know what happened with her, but that interaction was me saying something. And as black folks, if I could, people of color, when you're explaining this stuff, it's important on how you do it because it's such a passionate topic for us. And we can come across in your face because we've been tired of it. We are sick. We are hurt. Like we're tired of saying the same shit for years and years and years. We're tired of the same thing happening. So when we speak, that passion we have can come off aggressive and it can make people defensive, right? So it's very important and it's unfair to us. It's very unfair that I have to always manage my emotions, but make intentional moves. For real, because it's... um. Even just on a cases of, say, you like customer service and if they don't get you once, they don't get you twice. Now I'm having to tell you three times, like now it's getting really irritating for me. So yes. I can, it's, it's, you know, that that's kind of, yeah, it's something that's embedded and I can't, I can't imagine how frustrating it is. But seeing the world coming on the same page, as you said, being yeah. forced to do that and forced, I don't mean in a negative way, but... It is that. It's just a fact. It's good. It is. It's yeah. a good thing. You, we had options to not be forced to do it willingly. Now we have to be forced to bring it to people's attention. And that's yeah. okay. It's looking beyond, and this kind of circles back to what you said in the beginning, beyond complacency. You could have got complacent and, you know, been happy with that one, one job that you got that year that could have covered you for the rest of the year, whatnot. But no, you kept going. That's what it is. And I guess... I, this is one of my favorite quotes, which is that change is the only constant in life. So 100, 100. Yeah. And, and that change is needed. And also on that, when you talk about not getting complacent, I encourage anybody who's listening to this, don't just make this a hashtag. Let's not make this a trend. Let's not make this a fad until it happens again. How about we make it a movement that continues to move? Because right now people don't have nowhere to go. They don't have no distractions. So why not go for a protest? Why not post some stuff? Because I'm not promoting myself. Let's just go ahead and do it. But when things go back to normal, are you still going to fight? Are you still going to stand with us? You know what I'm saying? I need yeah. to make sure everybody, black and white alike, allies, people of color, I think it's really important that we realize it's more than just a fad. It's more than just a trend. This is a turning point in our history and our culture that we have to. This is our version like our, our generation, Sarah, this is our civil rights movement right now. Like when we think back to MLK and stuff, this is our civil rights movement. This is our opportunity to make sure there's some change because the people before us, they put some change, right? They, 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 they made things change. It's not perfect, obviously, but it was better than what it was. Then we got complacent. Now it's another opportunity in 2020, this new decade, to have another level of change. And we have to do it our generation, our, our generation's attention span has to get better because we jump on whatever is the next hot trend. We jump on whatever is the next hot hashtag. And then we go back to our lives and we go back to posting selfies and shit. It has to go beyond that. It has to be a constant. This conversation I'm having with you, we have to make sure we continuously come back to this conversation to make sure people ain't getting lulled to sleep. You know what I mean? No, 100%. That's the key here is to, to ensure that it's, it's ingrained in our everyday life that we're not getting complacent and accountability is the number one rule. We can get into this so much more deep, but I, I don't know if you want to leave it to, to, to discuss it on your platform. Um, you know, I don't know if you're busy now. I feel like we've done the one hour. <laughs> no, we're good. I mean, I got, I got a few more minutes for you. Come on now. Come on, sis. I got you. We, I got a few minutes. What's up? If, if, like I said, any, you have a unique position because yeah. unlike here, unlike here in America, it's like, there's not a lot of people who, it's the opposite. So I'm used to seeing people of color having to operate in white spaces, right? And you're the exact opposite, right? You're quote unquote white, you know, on a base American standards, right? Yeah, yeah, so you're yeah. quote unquote white 
operating in a black space and in black culture. So you have a very unique position and any questions you got on that, I want that because I'm gonna take this conversation back on my platform and my people and be like, yo, this is how it's affecting somebody across the ocean. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. just, it's, 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 a, it's a good dialogue. Well, let's start that by asking you, uh, how did you feel traveling outside of America, coming to Europe? What was the difference in that experience? Did you, did you feel like, oh, did you feel liberated almost? First off, it was excitement. Cause like I said, I'm from the hood. Where I come from, most people don't leave the hood, let alone leave the country. Let's keep it real. You know what I'm saying? So going out, it was just, it was so dope to be like, yo, we're, it's like we're all the same, but we live differently. You know what I'm saying? Like every person, we have the same needs. We all cry. We all laugh. We all need to eat. We all want to love, all that stuff. But the way in which we do it is very unique. And then as an actor, because I spent the, uh, a month in L.A., uh, with my lady at the time, which is why I went there, and also to take some uh, workshops. And it was so funny, like, my American... In London, not in London. In London, my bad, my bad, in London. And so as an actor, it was like, yo, people kept pointing out, you're very American. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> like, 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 it's very... But I get it now, because I'm dating somebody who lived a decade in London, and because I'm, I, I, some of my... Jay Hosh, uh, Dave... Uh, uh, my man, uh, what's my dude, Bugsy, uh, Bugsy Malone. There's so much UK rappers, Kano, that I've messed with now. Wow. And I mess with the culture so much that I can, on TV with no words, I can spot a, somebody Black from the UK and somebody Black from America with no yeah. words because I get it now. There's an essence. And so I was like, yo, I am very American and I'm very different. And also, there, and correct me if I'm wrong, Y'all, it's more of a separation of where you're from rather than the color of your skin there. It seems like, you know what I mean? If you have communities, you have Italian communities, you have Greek communities, you have French exactly. communities, you have whatever. And it's not so much based on colors. Like if you're from, if you're from Paris, you're from Paris. You can be white, you can be African. It don't matter. You're from Paris. You, you know what I'm saying? And it's just more diverse, particularly, uh, particularly in London. And so I felt the difference. And when I came back here, I was like, wow you really rarely see groups of people of different cultures and races together. It's very unique. Like I'm the weird one because one of my best friends is Mexican. Another one of my best friends is white and Mexican. A couple of my best friends are black. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I'm, I'm the weird one in these circles where I find myself in so many different circles. And a lot of my, my brothers and sisters is very black. Is that because you're from New York though? Like originally? No, no, no. Part of it is just because I grew up in group homes and okay, foster okay. homes. So yep, yep, I yep, went yep. from the hood to the suburbs. And also just because I, I am who I am. Like I, I rock with people. Like, you know what I'm saying? You got me one second quoting Jay-Z in the house bumping J. Cole. Next thing you know, I'm with one of my corny little uh, uh, white or uh, uh, Asian friends watching anime. The next moment, I'm at a quinceanera with my Mexican homie over here uh, 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 messing with some enchiladas with people. And it's just like, that's just me because it's, it's, a, better, it's a better life uh, for me when you're immersed in multiple cultures because your worldview is expanded. And I realize if you come, if everybody looks like you, if everybody shares the same viewpoints as you, how are you growing? How are you learning? Do you think you did that by choice or because you gravitated towards that? It, it started by gravitating, then it became by choice. Like oh, it was right. like, it was, it was just my life. And then going to a historically black college, I think it was a small college. It was like 1500 students and only like maybe 30 on campus of those weren't black folks. And so that was such a beautiful experience to see like being immersed, immersed, immersed in black culture exclusively for a couple of years. And our college is in the middle of nowhere. So I was immersed in that. So it gave me a, great appreciation of my own blackness on a higher level because I learned more. And then I was more excited to share that with my folks who weren't black, like, yo, you know what I'm saying? So it became intentional. And then I want to reach as many people, which is why I love having these dialogues with you, which is why on my Real Talk Tuesday, I make sure I always have people who aren't just black because I want to be a physical representation of bridging that gap and bringing people together because race is not real. It is a social construct made to separate and divide people because when you're separated and divided, you, be, you can be manipulated easier. So I'm about culture. 
It's about culture. I want to share culture. Race is fake. It's not real. No. But we use it as a way to separate us. Only reason black folks are black in Africa is because we live in a hot climate. The only reason people up in the Nordic are white is snow because they live near the North Pole. Like, right. that's, that's it. That's just what it is. We make it a bigger deal than what it is, but that's the reality. Like, racism is fake, but racism is real. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah, that's big. To wrap up, Monty, what have you got going on? Um, I know you have motivation. You've got your lives, acting. All right, we got we got the substance out the way. Now let me get some shameless plugs. All right. Yeah, so exactly. uh uh more than anything right now, I don't know if you can get it in the UK, but I'll find a way to send you a link. <laughs> uh uh Tyler Perry's bruh is on BET Plus, it's streaming right now. So go ahead and check that out. Um my uh, motivation page, that's M-O-N-T-I-Vation. That's my Instagram handle. You can hit me up. That's my motivation page where I talk a lot about these issues on a regular basis. If you want to get more information, I'm always down to help somebody. If you got a question, I'm going to answer it to the best of my ability. I will make time because this is that important. And then my Monty, M-O-N-T-I underscore Washington. That's more of my entertainment stuff. Lately, there's been a lot of social justice because that's more important than me posting a damn selfie. Let's keep it real. But yeah, you can find me on those platforms and just look out like we're in a change. I want to tell everybody out there, despite everything that's going on, there's a lot of good. And as far as the pandemic, if you're an artist, these are to the artists out there. These are, these are to the entertainers out there. You better be ready because when this is over, there's going to be an abundance of opportunities for you to go further in your career, in your craft, to get your art out there more. Be ready for it. Use this time. Don't stay silent on the social justice side and don't stay stagnant with your art. If your art artists, if you're creative, our voices matter. Like our voices, artists' voices matter. We have a unique way of putting out content that can get people to look at stuff differently because sometimes if you keep saying something the same way, people become numb. But if you put it in a dope artistic way, whether that's through music or acting or through a painting or through some kind of content, that can open up people's eyes in a whole different manner. So all our creatives out there, Artists' lives matter. Let's make sure we're using that to promote uh, 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 equality amongst people and come together because that's what it's about. I promise you that taps into into a person more than anything else. So motivation is almost as good as Lady in the Trap. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I, 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 no, I'm joking. You know that you know because it's flipping the Disney movie Lady and the Tramp. So yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. And I love the lit acronym. It's dope. It's and the lit. acronym, you know what yeah. Exactly. It's, 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 what it is, is it's thoughtful. And I like that. I like when people think <laughs> out stuff. You know what I mean? That's what it's about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, thank you, Monty. Like, honestly, thank you for your time. Yeah, it's been it's really good. It's all good. Yo, thanks for having me.